I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. I don't care if you ask her mother's permission, Gavin. That doesn't make it right. Ass. The following podcast contains... Mr. Strickland, Bobby used some language last night that he said he got from you. You can't use the type of language that you use. I just don't understand why people feel the need to use that kind of language. Don't ever use that kind of language again. Do you hear me? But he doesn't have to use that kind of language. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought that anyone would want to watch you pull your pud, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, November 10th, 2017, The Hero Dies in this one edition of the show, where we talk about why everything we love is just fucking terrible. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Dick Peepers, the people you pay to see your package. Here at Dick Peepers, we understand you're justifiably proud of your endowment and need to let people know how marvelous it is. But we all know you can't just go around showing your junk to strangers. But now, you can. Dick Peepers is a private, discreet service that will gladly accept photographs of your dick for a reasonable fee. Need to take it to the next level? Dick Peepers will send a live human person of your preferred gender to the privacy of your home or office who will watch you whip it out and do whatever it is you do. Hey, no touching. It's not that kind of business. Dick Peepers solves the problems of your dick for everyone involved. Use the promo code Louie at checkout and get one free peep of a pic of your dick. How do women still go out with guys when you consider the fact that there is no greater threat to women than men? We're the number one threat to women. Globally and historically, we're the number one cause of of injury and mayhem to women. We're the worst thing that ever happens to them. I was an odd child. I mean, there were a lot of reasons that I was an odd child, but the reason I'm thinking of right now is this one time when I was five or six years old, I got in trouble by my mom because I was playing the match game. Get ready to match the stars. Orson Bean, Brett Sowers, Charles Nelson Riley, Marianne Mobley, Richard Dawson, and Betty White. Play the star-studded Big Money Match Game 74. The rules were simple. I would write my answer on an index card while I watched the show, and I answered every question with words I'd heard my uncles using that I was never ever supposed to repeat. My mother found these index cards in my closet, tacked to a wall, and I had to explain to her that I was not saying those words, I was merely using them in a humorous fashion to match with Charles Nelson Riley. Star that he is, he would want to play the meatiest role, and that is the Wicked Queen! The Wicked Queen! I love Charles Nelson Riley so much, and I'm still to this day not sure if I was punished because of my love for Charles Nelson Riley more than the words I'd used on the cards. 
Being that odd child that I'd mentioned before, the people I considered my heroes did not fit the mold expected of a chubby, red-headed kid from the American South in the early 1970s. Most boys my age worshipped at the altar of whatever sports team their father knelt at. A few idolized the action stars of our day. Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit was a major, major influence on so many young lives. We're just going to run over to Texarkana and pick up 400 cases of Coors. And bring it back in 28 hours. Whoa, I got a flash for you. That's called bootlegging and that's against the law. Well, who gives a turkey when the snowman and the bandit are running the booze? No Whoa. one can stop us. Even among the nerd class where I was already firmly ensconced, I did not sit on the knee of James T. Kirk with his shirtless bravado or Spock's suave, raised eyebrow logic. The person I loved was Leonard McCoy. I am Leonard McCoy, senior medical officer aboard the USS Enterprise. Why? Because Bones was the funny one. He was Southern, he was sarcastic, a little high-strung. He was just like me. I was never going to look good with my shirt off like Kirk, but I could drop a one-liner and lay on some heavy snark. And when other kids in their teens were buying rock records, I was buying old comedy albums. I can still recite Bob Newhart bits from memory. I knew every word of Caused Noah sketch. I adored George Burns and Milton Berle. Later on, I would evolve to Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Bill Hicks. Other kids played air guitar. I did air stand-up. There was a talent show my sophomore years of high school, and I did the monologue for Monty Python's Dead Parrot sketch. So stiff, bereft of life, it rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it would be pushing up the daisies. It's run down the curtain and join the crowd invisible. This is an ex-parent. I, uh, I didn't win, in case you were wondering. The young me never really thought about being a stand-up comedian. I honestly didn't even know it was a real job. I just more or less assumed the comedians, the, the ones that I adored, were, I don't know, actors who would do stand-up for funsies. Yeah, you know, for fun. As I got older, I realized there was a world out there where people made a living telling jokes. I couldn't imagine a better thing to be. God, think of it. Living in hotels, working in clubs and shithole towns around the country for rooms of half-filled drunks who were assholically shouting at you while you tried to perform, managers who don't pay, riding a Greyhound bus for 18 hours at a stretch because you couldn't afford a plane ticket, much less a car. Who wouldn't want to do that? No one wants that. Right. Exactly. I know working comedians now, and while they love what they do, they kind of hate it at the same time. And we live in New York City where you could kind of, sort of, but not really make a little money doing stand-up without all the traveling. Pace yourself because you're going to have to do this all day for very little money. Their dream is to get a job writing comedy for television. That's the golden fucking ticket for people working in comedy. Land a paying job writing and then do some actual stand-up because you want to. This only happens to people who work very, very hard and get very, very lucky. But for me personally, there's always been another reason why I never tried to be a stand-up comedian. I'm not fucked up enough to be in comedy. I mean, I'm pretty fucked up. You can tell, can't you? But compared to most people in comedy, I'm as vanilla as a brick of briars. I don't battle addictions, 
Not that I'm not addicted to anything, but my addiction and I signed a non-aggression pact many, many years ago. I'm not clinically depressed because no doctor has ever actually, I've never even seen a doctor to diagnose me. My parents are still married to each other and no one has molested me. I'm painfully straight. In short, there is nothing at all interesting in my life that would give me the edge good comedians seem to need to succeed. Apparently, you need that edge. Like, I don't know, your edge is you struggle to cope with mental illness, or your edge could be growing up a minority in a blatantly racist country like this one. Or maybe, just maybe, you like to whip your dick out and masturbate in front of unwilling women. Oh my God, Louie. Actually, I don't think that's an edge. I, I think that's just being a real piece of shit. Because on Thursday, the New York Times published a story detailing the accusations by five different women that revered comedian Louis C.K. had sexually harassed and insulted them over the years. Quoting, Now, after years of unsubstantiated rumors about Louis C.K. masturbating in front of associates, women are coming forward to describe what they experienced. Even amid the current burst of sexual misconduct accusations against powerful men, the stories about Louis C.K. stand out because he has so few equals in comedy. Louis C.K. built a reputation as the unlikely conscience of the comedy scene by making audiences laugh about hypocrisy, especially male hypocrisy. Jesus, goddamn Christ, come on, Louis. Rumors of this behavior are not exactly news. Like Harvey Weinstein, Leon Weaseltier, Kevin Spacey, and of course, dear old Bill Cosby, whispers were in the wind for years before the story finally broke. The late and somewhat lamented website Gawker ran a blind item in 2012 titled, Which Beloved Comedian Likes to Force Female Comics to Watch Him Jerk Off? Uh, it's it's Louie. And the Gawker stub defamer ran a story in 2015 about a comedian's conversations with CK over the rumors of his onanism before the unwilling onlookers titled, Louis CK will call you up to talk about his alleged sexual misconduct. The source of this article emailed CK asking about the rumors and CK replied and they later spoke on the phone. The source told Gawker, quote, he characterized their conversation as stilted and unsubstantive. His interpretation was that CK was sizing me up to find out what I'd heard. CK bluntly rejected even speaking on the subject of these rumors, stating that it's not the sort of thing that one should ever comment on. You can't do this! God damn it! You people are pieces of shit! So you got this guy, who is perhaps the most powerful name in comedy in our current time. That's subjective. True enough, I guess, since the most powerful name in comedy is show business-wise, like being the most popular TV weatherman in Helena, Montana. Sure, some people know your name, just not a lot of them. But Louie broke out of the comedy trap and traversed into something approaching genuine auteur status with his critically acclaimed FX series, his animated shorts, and his self-funded and promoted stand-up specials. On top of that, CK's subjects are considered to be particularly woke, speaking on misogyny, racism, and homophobia, and in that, he managed to do something often considered to be impossible, to be raunchy, funny, and enlightened all at the same time. It, and, but let me be clear, by the way, I'm not saying that white people are better. I'm saying that being white is clearly better. Who could even argue? <laughs> if it was an option, I would re-up every year. Oh, yeah, I'll take white again. Absolutely. What the fuck, Louie? Seriously, dude? 
The writing has been on the wall for on this for five fucking years. You could have gotten ahead of it. You could have leveraged your position with a genuine discussion about what happened and made a meaningful apology when the rumors first started going round. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Yeah, yeah, you would have gotten shit. You'd have lost some fans. But if, if there is a hint of being genuine in you and your comedy, most of us would have stuck with you. But this isn't what you did. You were silent when Cosby went down. And yeah, 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 yeah. Whipping your dick out in front of unwilling women isn't slipping them a Mickey and raping them while they're passed out. But it ain't that far fucking from the, on the scale from it either. Nobody wants to see your dick, dude. You either encouraged or allowed your managers to intimidate the women you assaulted in order to keep their silence. And it sure as fucks looks like you hurt their career. You used your power and position to violate these women a second time by forcing them to be silent. Dude, they were fucking scared of you. Jen Kirkman just vaguely alluded to you in 2015 and then fell backwards over herself to retract even that vague illusion. Why? Because you could fuck up her career. Tig Notaro put a character in her show that did what you did and then shrugged it off by saying, oh, it's just a character because you were the producer of her show and she probably felt you were doing that to deflect from the rumors about you. And yeah, yeah, you released a statement this afternoon saying, quote, but what I learned later in life, too late, is that when you have power over another person, Asking them to look at your dick isn't a question, it's a predicament for them. The power I had over these women is that they admired me, and I wielded that power irresponsibly. I've been remorseful for my actions, and I've tried to learn from them, and run from them. Now I'm aware of the extent of the impact of my actions. I learned yesterday the extent to which I left these women who admired me feeling badly about themselves and cautious around other men who would never have put them in that position. I also took advantage of the fact that I was widely admired in my and their community, which disabled them from sharing their story and brought hardship to them when they tried because people who look up to me didn't want to hear it. I didn't think that I was doing any of that because my position allowed me not to think about it. Dude, you fucking said how fucking admired you are like 80 times in those fucking 12 sentences. And it, yeah, otherwise it sounds like a genuine statement of contrition and shame. And had you made this years, months, or even weeks ago, it might have meant something. But as it stands now, you're just another shitty man that got caught. You had the chance to come clean before the news story broke. Listen to me, you the fuck. I offered you a chance when we could have done something. I offered you a chance, and you blew it. You blew it. I think this era might be something new because now it looks like there's going to be a real, genuine consequence for these fuckers. Maybe not legally, but at least personally. Maybe we're looking at a sea change in our culture where women aren't afraid anymore. They won't be silenced. It won't be instant. It won't be universal. But slowly and surely, the shit will finally stop. Oh, not the harassment and abuse, because I don't think that will ever go away. But at least these fucking men will lose the power to silence their victims. Or, hey, you know, maybe not. It's not like this is the first time we've had this moment in history. Which brings us to our way back. Our way back this week finds us on Capitol Hill, October 11th, 1991. 
President George Herbert Walker Bush had the plum prize of a presidency in appointing a new Supreme Court justice, and he wasn't just going to waste this chance. Just as William Brennan had stepped down from the court and Bush decided to appoint a staunch conservative voice, but he also wanted to make a token statement about the changing face of America. So he chose the United States Court of Appeals on the D.C. Circuit, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas was a staunch conservative judge who adhered to the originalist view of the Constitution, you know, the one like the Bible, where the literal interpretation of a document written centuries earlier is the only interpretation and completely forgets that time and society's change. Explain that logic. You can't, so I won't bother. The Thomas nomination was always going to be an uphill fight, as it would tilt the court conservative and the Senate was controlled by Democrats. And oddly enough, in those days, the Senate actually voted on the Supreme Court justices, even if the other party held the White House. The Thomas nomination would be fairly controversial as it was, but another issue rose out of the hearings that shook American culture when respected attorneys stepped forward to accuse her boss, Clarence Thomas, of long-term sexual harassment. On these occasions, he would call me into his office for reports on education issues and projects, or he might suggest that because of the time pressures of his schedule, we go to lunch to a government cafeteria. After a brief discussion of work, he would turn the conversation to a discussion of sexual matters. His conversations were very vivid. He spoke about acts that he had seen in pornographic films involving such matters as women having sex with animals and films showing group sex or rape scenes. He talked about pornographic materials depicting individuals with large penises or large breasts involved in various sex acts. On several occasions, Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual prowess. Because I was extremely uncomfortable talking about sex with him at all, and particularly in such a graphic way, I told him that I did not want to talk about these subjects. Anita Hill was calm, clear, concise, and very graphic, in describing the protracted harassment she endured by Clarence Thomas and presented a compelling case against him. And Thomas did what men do and denied the entire thing. Senator, I would like to start by saying unequivocally, uncategorically, that I deny each and every single allegation against me today that suggested in any way that I had conversations of a sexual nature or about pornographic material with Anita Hill, that I ever attempted to date her, that I ever had any personal sexual interest in her, or that I in any way ever harassed her. He called it a travesty, a mockery, a sham, a witch hunt. You know, all the usual shit men say. Dudes, seriously? Go and watch his testimony. It's a link to it in the show notes. His fucking eyes are darting around like flies over a juicy turd. The only way he could be more obviously lying is if he were physically putting his pubes on a Coke can during the testimony. Yeah, Gavin, he, he did that. You had to be there. I, I, I know, I know. It was before, never mind. So naturally, Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court on a close vote. Men considered Anita Hill a liar, and women listened to Anita Hill and said, Sounds 
That sounds right. It was a concrete loss, Thomas being confirmed. It said that men did not really give a fuck about sexual harassment, and that men wouldn't even believe women if they brought it up. But still, other people said at the time that Nita Hill's bravery in coming forward would encourage other women to do the same. And from a Time article a year later, quote, as the optimist foresaw, sensitivity to sexual harassment has deepened. Labor lawyers, corporate personnel managers, and academics report more interest in the subject. The Equal Opportunity Employment Commission logged a record 9,920 harassment complaints in the past year, a rise of over 50% from the previous year. But victims have learned how difficult it can be to get their cases resolved. Surveys find that while between 40 and 65% of female workers claim to have experienced sexual harassment on the job, less than 5% file complaints. Yeah, you know what? Anita Hill did actually change things. It just took far too long for those changes to become concrete. Anita herself wrote in Variety just back in October after the Weinstein revelations, quote, There are more people willing to come forward now. There's obviously strength in numbers. We have to deal with this as a society. It's a legal issue, but it's also a social and cultural issue that we still haven't figured out. We are still struggling to figure this out, but maybe, just maybe, we are working on it. That was me at the very end there, not not Anita. Well, we're working on some of it anyway. Like with everything else in this fucked up country, it depends on who you are. If you're white and of substantial means, you will find that you do have a voice. If you're a minority and a poor, you're still pretty much fucked. E.J. Graff wrote in Vice last month, quote, This year, the feds have sued or collected from IHOP franchises, a California Chipotle, a Rosebud restaurant, a Dollar General, an Applebee's, a private prison giant, and more. Then there's the lawsuit underway against Sterling Jewelers, in which hundreds of women alleged rampant harassment throughout the country, across the country. If you're unquote there if you're working class particularly if you're a working class woman of color you will still be silenced because you don't have a big soapbox to stand on and tell your story you will put up with it because you can't afford to lose this job you got mouths to feed and rent to pay and the petty fucking tyrant that is the assistant manager at your local outback steakhouse will still be able to show you his dick in the freezer because he knows he can get away with it Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. All I know is I'm tired of seeing people I admire be taken down by this shit. It's not the women breaking their silence, God no. It's the piece of shit men doing shitty fucking things they do. I watched Louis C.K. perform and saw something I could look up to. A guy who could be funny, provocative, powerful, and even compassionate. I watched his stand up and thought, here's a schlubby white guy, kinda out of shape, not drop dead handsome, just a good dude who is good at comedy and doing good with his comedy. And you know what? I kind of wanted to be like him. This show, it kind of wants to be like him. If it wasn't, if I wasn't the hugest fan of his TV show, it's because it was always a touch too dark to me. But now I realize that the man I saw on Louie the TV show was way more like the Louis C.K. Constantly doing abusive shit to the people in his life, pushing boundaries on how anyone should be treated and definitely how women should be treated. And it seems to me that Louis C.K. was trying to tell us all about his demons and his demons made him just a terrible fucking person. I, I should have seen it, I guess. After all, you don't get that famous in comedy unless you're pretty fucked up. Louis never seemed that fucked up. And another reason, that was another reason I looked up to him. Come to find out, yeah, he was a fucked up person. 
a bad human being. I'll tell you this much, I've learned this. Never have heroes, goddammit, because your heroes will always fucking betray you. They're either going to die on you, and that's the best they can hope for, is that they die before they disappoint you. I was a fat kid listening to comedy albums. I'm the person that listened to comedians and heard a real philosophy. Comedy opened my mind. Comedy made me think. What the fuck is the funny fat kid listening to you, Louie, on his earbuds learning right now? What lesson are you teaching him or her? Mostly him. I'm not in comedy. I do a low-rated podcast. So maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about here. I don't take the stage and spill my guts to a crowd hoping to make them laugh. Maybe I don't have the balls for that. After all, if you don't laugh at this show, I'm never going to fucking know. So maybe, maybe I'm not the one to say this, but I get to say it anyway. Stop using their demons to make fucking money. Get some fucking help, goddammit. Just get fucking help. <sighs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Giulio Gallarotti, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That's it for our show this week. This week has just been too crazy. So much shit has gone down in the news that I have five scripts that I started before I finally settled on this one because this one was the easiest one to do. Each one of these scripts was a manic episode just flying all over the place because I couldn't settle down and concentrate on one thing to talk about. And by the time I was halfway through with one script, some really weird new shit had already happened. What the fuck is going on with Roy Moore in Alabama? And what the fuck is going on with the Republican Party that makes them fucking sit there and make fucking excuses for pedophiles? Oh! Fucking shit! Oh, this fucking... I can't live in 2017 anymore. I need to go back to 1984. I want to go live in Hawkins, Indiana, even with the monsters. I just want to play Dig Dug and hang out with Will and... Uh, fuck! Oh, God damn it. This whole fucking world just needs a giant bong hit of some super mellow canatonic weed, put on some Pink Floyd... And just fucking chill, man. I should really start smoking weed because the whiskey isn't working anymore. And I just referenced a Travis Tritt song. What the fuck is wrong with me? God, maybe I am fucked up. Maybe I can do stand-up. Oh. If you would like to help others get the joke that is this show, rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast. It helps them find it so they can say, I, I don't get it. Does this guy think he's funny? If you want to be unsure yourself whether or not I am joking, even more, follow the show on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook, which I have recently eschewed. God, if you want to feel better about yourself, get the fuck off Facebook. 
All the shows are on SoundCloud at the show name and at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave Bledsoe, my opening act, Producer Gavin, and all the fictional servers that you should tip on this show, we want to say the hardest part isn't finding out what we need to be. It's being content with who we are. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>